welcome again to WordServe. I uh, want to make sure that you know that this is uh, your place, your home. So if at any time you need to get up and get some coffee, um, make yourself totally comfortable. That's what we do here. We are starting a new sermon series in response to things that you provided input to. And the sermon series is called... Uh, yeah, Spiritual Conversations. I'm not sure why that's not working. So Spiritual Conversations was a, a goal of ours to make sure that as we talk to people, you have an opportunity to talk about things spiritual. Because how often do you go up to someone and, and talk about spiritual things? I mean, think about your average conversation. You talk about the weather. You talk about sports. You talk about your kids. Kids, you talk about your parents. You, you know how it goes, right? But how often do we get into the deeper things of life? So spiritual conversations was our way of asking, what are things that people struggle with in a non-spiritual way? So some of the things that we came up with, uh, some of the things that we'll be covering, I think something has gone wrong here. Yeah, it totally could be user error, but we'll see. All right. This is weird. Anyway. Vision casting, uh, we're going to talk about today because uh, this is not vision casting like you think. Normally when you hear vision casting, it's like, oh, Bill's going to cast a vision for Word Serve Church. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we have taken vision and cast it out, clean out. Because as you look at the world around us, there's some absurdity out there, is there not? I think we've lost some of the vision, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The way that we phrased that was, how do you feel about the current social climate? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And then we're going to be talking about where do you get peace? And is there really peace? Is that possible? Then we're going to have a Youth Sunday, which, by the way, is going to be awesome. Did I mention April 30th you need to be here to hear the Youth Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. If nothing else, to come and see Mike wear his hat backwards. Come on. All right? All right. And May 7th, uh, we're going to talk about where do you get strength from because, man, this world takes some strength, does it not? If we're going to get through this thing, we've got to be strong. And, and sometimes we place that just on ourselves or we attempt to do it of our own will and volition, and we will be crushed by this world. I, I, that's the bad news. Uh, the good news is there's a better way to do it, and we're going to talk about that. Now, the interesting thing to me about the way we did the survey, many of you asked questions and provided feedback. I want to say thank you to everyone who did that. That was awesome. But here's what I noticed. Most of us asked Christians what they thought. We didn't ask people who don't know Christ or maybe are disenfranchised from Christ. We asked other Christians. Now, that tells me a couple things. One is you're normal. <laughs> I don't mean that. That sounded weird. Uh, what this means is typically when we follow Christ, if that's important in our lives, uh, some of those friendships that we had that, that maybe they don't follow Christ tend to fall away because we just have different priorities, different schedules, different things that we discuss or are important to us. That's actually a statistical norm. So we, we know less and less non-Christian people. This is my encouragement to us, Word Serve, to get to know more and more heathens. No, that's <laughs> or, or be one. I don't know. It takes one to know one. So uh, get to know people. <laughs> get to know people that don't know Christ or, or perhaps have been disenfranchised from Christ. Now, I say disenfranchised from Christ. What typically happens is they've had a bad experience with a religious organization or church. And the problem, if you peel back enough layers of that onion, the problem isn't really Christ. The problem is they had an interaction with someone at church or some people at church that turned them off to the whole thing, and they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. But we've got to peel back those layers because I'm telling you that Christ is the most important thing. And we'll try to make that case today because that's the source of vision and wisdom that I need 
to get through this world in a way that's going to glorify him and build that kingdom. We're just saying, may your kingdom come here. If, you're, if your spirit's in this place, build your kingdom here. That's how we're going to do this. So that's my encouragement to you. When we asked, what do you feel about the current social climate? Interestingly enough, almost everyone mentioned, uh, and, and I'm paraphrasing, almost everyone mentioned a lack of a moral compass. It seems like we've kind of lost true north. Like, what is right and what is wrong? And, and I think the most common thing that we hear is, well, that's right for you. It's just not right for me. The only problem with that is that's not the way that we're built or designed. So we're, we're going to walk through a, a little bit of this and see what we can do with it. Um, the one problem that we have, hey, it worked. That, nice. All right. I, I got it. <laughs> one problem that we have with this is, is the headlines around us really tend to drag us down. Uh, maybe we don't want to talk about too much. And, and one of the responses was interesting. Uh, this, this comes from a, and they admitted this on the, the return survey, I, I am an atheist. So thank you for actually uh, bringing some outside information in. Because, yeah, it's so, people get so upset about the littlest things, and, and it's so political anymore that I just try not to get involved. I try not to make any waves, and I try not to get people upset. That's okay to a point, and that's good for the, the, an individual. But words are, we're a body. We're, we're a community, and we should impact a community. And that's not okay, just to let things lie and, and take their natural course. What, do you, what happens to your lawn if you just let it take its natural course? You, yeah, you, you get a letter from the Homeowners Association, right? <laughs> you remember that story? Yeah, anyway, all right. <laughs> I, it wasn't because it took its natural course, but uh, anyway, that's another story. But uh, many of the, the things that we encounter out there are really bad news, and so it kind of... We, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to make waves. We don't want to confront that. But there's a way that we can stand above that, and, and not in a holier-than-thou way, but in a way of, hey, there's a better way to live, folks, and I invite you in on this journey. That's what we want to try and be as the body of Christ. We don't want to thump people between the, the eyes. We don't want to say, I'm good and you're not, because I know that's not true. I'm chief among you. But there is a better way to live, and we can live this way together. That's what we should be about. So as we, as we look at this uh, opportunity that we have, uh, the funny thing is, for those who are, are struggling with, is there a God, is Jesus who he says he is, the fact that certain things outrage us all is, is ironic. And here's what I mean. If you are morally outraged at, say, I should be able to walk down the street without being accosted or robbed or kidnapped, I think everybody would agree to that, right? I think when we send our kids to school, we, we should be morally outraged if they're harmed, as we've seen in recent school shootings. That should enrage everybody. So the point is, if that enrages everybody, whether they confess to believe in God or Jesus Christ or not, that tells me we are morally wired, and there must be a moral lawgiver that makes us feel that way. Otherwise, well, that's okay for you. It's just not okay for me. No. There are absolutes. There are moral laws because there is a moral law giver. That's the way that we're wired. So the, the fact that that outrages people is automatically a sense towards, yeah, there is something out there. And that something out there is worth investigating. So today, we're going to investigate uh, what it is to be a parent. I've heard your stories, parents, today. I am so grateful for you being parents. And I am so grateful that I don't have to right now. <laughs> it is tough. 
I've heard your stories. You have challenges that we never had. When I was raising my daughters, we didn't have social media, we didn't have internet, uh, we didn't have all these things, we didn't have electronic bullying, we didn't have all that stuff. And there are sources of information coming at us and our children at record rates of speed. Not necessarily good sources of information. Now, before you think, oh, Bill's gonna go on a rant about social media and how evil it is. Now, social media is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's how it's used that becomes the problem. So this is my hope in that if it's amoral, then we can possibly use it for good as well. Maybe we can be a voice of hope and change, and maybe that's on social media. So it's not, nothing is beyond reach here. But the fact is, when you were a kid, or if you're a kid, you probably have a parent. Just let that sink in a minute. Yeah, you have a parent. All right. So, yeah, you have a parent, and, and that parent has a lot more perspective, a lot more experience in life. And so when they make rules like you have to be home in a certain time or you, you have to eat your vegetables or, or those kinds of things, it's not because they hate you and they want to make your life rigid and follow a set of rules. It's because they want what's best for you, and they know what's best for you in many cases. Now, are parents perfect? No, of course not. But here's the, the, the further irony. There is a perfect parent. There is one that has so much experience and so much perspective that they actually know the truth. And I'm not talking about what's good for you, what's good for me. I'm talking about the absolute truth of the way this world is created and made and operates. Anybody guess who that ultimate parent is? <laughs> Man, the softballs are lobbed across the plate once again, right? So we are going to go to a book called Proverbs because Jesus and God had this ultimate wisdom, and they're unknowable. I mean, they know so much that I can't even relate to that as a human. So one of the things I love to do is go to the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom as expressed through God to humans. So in other words, it's written in our language. If you ever want to read the book of Proverbs, uh, you get those Bible reading plans, and it says, yeah, read Proverbs 17 through 19 today. I highly discourage that. Proverbs is like tweets before there was uh, tweets, right? Proverbs are little nuggets that if you read two sentences, man, you can spend the whole week just thinking about what that means. So don't rush through Proverbs. In fact, we're only going to take one verse today. That's how rich and deep this is. And it's probably a verse that's familiar to you, but Proverbs represents the very best of wisdom that humans can express outside of Jesus Christ. And it's succinct. I thought you might appreciate that. Here's today's verse in Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. These are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. The thing that this says here, now your version may differ slightly because the way that these words are, are uh, translated can differ. So revelation, uh, that word literally means in, in the Hebrew to see. So a revelation is, uh, aha, now I see, I get it. To see in this term where there is no revelation is a divine type of revelation. And why is that so important? Well, we'll get to that in, in just a second. But it literally means to see. Uh, some of your Bibles may see where there is no vision. That, that's another way that it is commonly phrased. So uh, this becomes important because when it comes to the restraint side of things, um, if you don't have that seeing from the divine, 
you tend to cast off restraint. Now, Exodus 32 is a great chapter to read because this is the people of Israel who have just been freed from slavery, years of slavery in Egypt. They're out in the desert. Moses says, hey, I'm going to take a time out. i got to go up, talk to God, get some Ten Commandments. Uh, Aaron, my brother, take care of my people. Don't do anything nutty. I'll be back in 40 days, right? And, and how many people know what happens, right? Maybe I'm telling this story to the, the crowd who knows, but, man, those people go a little bit crazy. They take all the jewelry that they stole from Egypt, they melt it down, and they make a golden calf, and they start having parties. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, it's a pretty big deal if you serve a Lord and God who says, you shall have no other gods before me. And the biggest problem was they made this golden calf, and, and, and if you read the account carefully, they claim that the calf represents the God who rescued them from Egypt. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, God also says that you don't make any images of me. God is, is non-imageable because anytime we, we try to capture God in the image of our mind, we've already limited what God is. God is so much more than that. So that's why he says that. Again, he wants what's best for us. He wants us to understand just how omnipotent he is. So they do the golden calf thing. Uh, Moses comes back with the Ten Commandments. It doesn't go well, and, and they're set right again. Like, look, you can't be doing this. You can't make your own thing. And, and what's also interesting about that is the calf was appropriated from the, the culture that they had been captive to. So if you look at many of the, the religions, uh, the fertility religions in particular, uh, use these kinds of, of images to represent their gods. So there's a blurring. There, anytime we dilute God, we dilute wisdom. This is a bad thing to do. And anytime we dilute that wisdom, we dilute our vision, our ability to see. And anytime we dilute our ability to see, the climate suffers. Make sense? Following on track? Okay, very good. The other one is uh, in Judges 21-25. Judges is an interesting read. Uh, I call it the roller coaster book because the people do good and then they do bad and then they do good and then they do bad. And every time when they're in this bad place where society has just gone to pot, they're being overrun, they're being terrorized, whatever, there's a judge that comes along, a person appointed by God that calls them back to that vision that we talked about, calls them back to, hey, this is a better way to live. Uh, and I'm the parent that knows best. Isn't that annoying, though, when you're a kid? Your parent knows best, and they turn out to be true. Yeah, my, my parents were the, the most strict, dumbest people I ever knew when I was 16 years old. When I was 26 years old, they were the most brilliant people I ever knew. I don't know how they got so smart in those 10 years. Anyway, um, so read the book of Judges, and you'll see that the same thing happens. And, and specifically in this verse, it says, uh, they had no king, so they did what was ever right in their own eyes. And that phrase, they had no king, becomes significant. Because if we claim no king, then what's right for me is maybe not what's right for you, but that's okay. If we claim no king, then anything goes. If we claim no allegiance, we're not required to follow anyone. And again, this requirement issue becomes a problem because I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't think we really mean that. I, I think we do need someone telling us what to do. If the motive for them telling us what to do is what's best for us out of love. That's the God that we serve. Many people will tell you what to do, and, and many of them are, have no interest 
in your best interest. I mean, look at what, yeah, the, the common thing. Yeah, kids, how many times you had, hey, I, I bet you can't do this. I dare you to do that. You think they got their best interest in mind? <laughs> no, they're going to TikTok or YouTube that. That's what's coming next. Be ready. We're, we're not going to fall for that. But there is hope in all of this. It says, blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction, that wisdom that comes from God, our ability to see as God sees. Deuteronomy had it right, and parents, this is a great verse uh, to fall back on, and word serve, this is a great verse to live by. I I encourage you to read the whole chapter at home. I'm not going to read it to you here. But there's a couple things I want to highlight in Deuteronomy 11. The first one, uh, it comes right out and it says, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, his commands always. If we forget that, if we put something else first, if we allow something else to, to take God's place and we have no king but something else, we forget exactly how much God loves us uh, and, and what those requirements are meant for. They're meant for our good. But I want to read further down here in, in verse 16. Uh, there's a warning here, and it says, Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Now, in that day, there were a lot of choices, a lot of other gods, a lot of other religions. Maybe not so much for where we live today. We don't hear about a lot of other gods and a lot of other religions, but we hear a lot about other philosophies, the philosophy simply being a way to live, other things that we deem important. I don't know what that is for you. You probably could search your banks and, and figure something out pretty quick. Maybe the most important thing is how much money I make. Uh, maybe the most important thing is my appearance in the community, whether that's by the way I dress, by what I drive, by where I live. Maybe the most important thing is that I am seen a certain way and I make no mistakes. I don't know what it is for you. May, uh, you can probably fill in that blank. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to not turn away and follow other teachings or religions that don't have our best interest in mind. If this world is all about how much money I can make and nothing else, there will come a time when we're challenged financially. What strength do we have? What peace do we have at that point? We're, 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 we're placing our hope and trust in the stock market, not in the God who provides and has a cattle on a thousand hill. There's a big, big difference. So... Be careful, then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut the heavens so it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce. You will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. I think this is a problem where, uh, or this is a point where a lot of people kind of turn God off. He sounds kind of angry. Seriously, you're gonna uh, anger will burn against me, shut the heavens, and it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce. Sounds kind of harsh. Until you think back to God's laws are not about the strict do and don't do. God's laws incorporate so much more. God's laws incorporate like stewardship of the earth, stewardship of resources. If we continually do things that harm the environment then we shouldn't be surprised when our land no longer yields crops. If we do things that continually put things into our diet, to our air, to our water, that cause debilitating diseases, we shouldn't be surprised when we get sick. It's much, much deeper than we imagine, and God does have our best interest in mind. 
There's a whole bunch more I could say, but we're just going to keep moving on because I want you to hear a couple things. This idea of teaching them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, you lie down, and when you get up. Do we really do that anymore? I mean, in this culture, that was their school, kind of. I mean, you apprenticed with your family. You probably worked in the house or at the, whatever the, the trade was for the family. And you had a lot of time together. And, and so you talked about spiritual things because there wasn't the Internet. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't anything except God. I don't know that we do that anymore. I think we have relegated our conversations to how's the weather, how's the sports, how's the school, how's the... And I'm not saying that's bad. I, absolutely. Parents, we have to communicate with our kids. We have to be a part of their lives. But what I'm encouraging us to do is to inject our faith. Because the one thing that, that many people uh, peripherally mentioned is we don't have God in our schools or in our... Um, am I trying to say, in our culture as much when it comes to this social climate question. We don't have God in the schools. I disagree. Now, I know that there are laws that say you, we, we don't pray in school and you can get in trouble for talking about that if you're employed by that. But listen, if God is in you and you are in that school, then God is in the school. You see what I mean? I'm not saying you have to go out and hand out pamphlets and, and stand on the street corner on a soapbox and preach. What I'm encouraging you to do is to take this seriously and live this life in a way that reflects to others. You don't have to say a thing. You can show everything just by the way you talk, by the way you interact with people. That goes for not only schools, kids. That goes for workplaces. That goes for family. That goes for your marriage relationship or the relationship with people that you have in the community. We can show a thousand times more than we can speak. Not that speaking's bad, but there's a reason they say things like a picture's worth a thousand words. If they can see Christ in us, then they got a thousand word sermon. Isn't that powerful? Super powerful. So heeding wisdom's instruction, the last thing I will say is this is an interesting thing about the Bible because whenever God offers something, there are two sides to the coin. We tend to pick the side that we like, but listen to this. This is still Deuteronomy 11. See, I am setting before you, <clears throat> excuse me, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. There's a two sides of the coin. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away that I command you today by following other gods, which you have not known. See, there's a the price that we pay when we choose to follow certain paths. If I choose to dally in things that might harm me, there's a chance that they will, in fact, harm me. If I choose to follow things that will do good for me, then there's a better chance that good will happen. Do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, that's a whole other sermon. Sure. But on the net, there's a way through that. There's a way past that. Maybe that's another sermon we can tack on at some point. So, blessed are those. Now, why do we need divine revelation? Why do we need to see like God sees? Here's a saying that I ran across. I just threw it on Facebook yesterday, but uh, take a second. This applies to women too, by the way. It says, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. The good news is that you can cycle back through that and start over again. The bad news is, why do we let that happen? 
why do we get to the point where we get to those weak people? I think it's because we've lost our divine revelation. And that's exactly what you see in Deuteronomy 11, as we just discussed. I encourage you to take that and read that at home, that, that whole section. There's a lot more to it. Why is this important? Here's, here's my thought. The divine inspiration is like an anchor on a boat. And you're saying, Bill, you've used this illustration before. Yeah, yeah, I've used an anchor on a boat before, but not this one. Don't check out on me. All right, so here's the thing. When you're in a harbor that's safe and calm and the sun is shining and there is no wind, you don't really need an anchor. That's not a factor. You're just going to be right in the middle of the safe place. So the anchor is not that important. But here's the problem. This world that we live in is never just calm and sunny. There are storms. There are winds. There are waves. There are things that come up. And if you don't have an anchor in that environment, it's not too long before you get crashed onto the rock. That's the whole point of God's guidance is to anchor us. Now, the problem is that when things are good, when we're prosperous, when we don't really have any needs, we live in a society that's free, free from threats, mostly. We tend to not worry about that anchor anymore because it takes some maintenance to, to, to maintain that anchor. So we pull up anchor or we just let it go. And, and the killer part to me is that's okay for a while as long as the bay is calm. But there will come a time when a storm happens. And maybe that storm is a medical report. Maybe that storm is a layoff. Maybe that storm is a spouse that's been with you for years that says, you know what, I don't know that I love you anymore. I don't know what the storm is. I, I, I don't know what you're dealing with, but I know this. Storms happen. If we don't have an anchor that holds us solid, then we're at the mercy of whatever current is flowing. We're at the mercy of the waves, and we'll end up wherever the waves want us to go. And that's not where God wants us to go. That's not where we want to go, to be honest with you. So here's the thing about this anchor. Even if you recognize, oh, I don't have an anchor. The wind's picking up. The waves are picking up. I need to get my anchor back. And you toss that anchor out there. In reality, anchors take time. They don't just go, oh, gotcha. You know, they're going to drag a while. They're going to drag on the seafloor, and they're going to catch something eventually, and then you'll stop. And why do I mention this? Because the time to cast the anchor is in the calm bay, not in the middle of the storm. Why would you wait? What? <laughs> you want to see how close you can get to the rocks? Is this a challenge? I don't know. We're a competitive bunch in Texas. I don't, let's not make this a contest, right? Don't cast the anchor in the storm. Cast the anchor in the calm so that when the storm comes, you and your family and your workplace and your school and all the people that you care and love deeply don't have to flirt with the danger of the rocks. That's my encouragement this morning. That's the divine revelation that we need to see, that God's eye view is everything. What does that look like practically? Well, you get a God's eye view by viewing God. Boy, that was deep, right? You get a God's eye view by viewing God. How do we view God as humans? This is difficult, right? Scripture is the number one place. Anytime I have uh, an issue that I'm struggling with or a concept that I'm struggling to understand, the first thing I do is I go to Scripture. And if you want to neck it down further than that, I go to Jesus first. And if he says something about it, then that's where I settle. If he doesn't, I, I continue to investigate. Because Jesus also references the Old Testament. It's not, not uh, a foreign thing to him. It was very much uh, something in his vocabulary. 
So scripture is a great place to start. But here's the thing. If I just read scripture by myself and I never uh, communicate about scripture, then it's just my understanding. So the second thing I do is I pray. And when I pray, I, I ask God for wisdom. In James, the, the book of James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God for it. It's not like he's holding back on wisdom. Although as you look at the world, you might think so. <laughs> There's not a lot of wisdom out there. But it's not because God is stingy. It's because we're not asking for it. We're not seeking it. We're not seeing it. Ask for wisdom in your prayer. <clears throat> and then the, the next thing about prayer is that how often, and you don't, don't show me your hands, but I want you to ask yourself this. How often in your time of prayer do you set aside time to listen to God's answer? You say, well, Bill, I've tried that before. He never talks to me. And you know what? He doesn't talk to me either. Here's how I hear from God. A scripture becomes illuminated. I make a connection that I've never seen before. I hear something from somebody else that was exactly the thing that I was thinking about or praying about, and they have a new perspective. I see a situation that looks just like mine, and there's a new contact that I can share. I can become alongside them and go, hey, how are you dealing with this? This is crazy. That's how God talks to me. Now, I'm not saying God can't talk to you. That's great, man. If he does, let me know, because I'd love to know where to take word serve next, right? But we often think that it's going to be some grandiose thing, and really what it is is just an awareness. So prayer becomes important. Community is another piece. We always talk about community, and in this community here, it's important that we talk about this with other people because other people have perspective, life experience. Other people have been through things. Maybe they've been through some storms in their boat, and they can tell you how important that anchor is. Maybe they can encourage you. Maybe they have information that you didn't know about. Maybe there's a support group to handle the exact thing that you're talking about, whether that's uh, caring for a parent or caring for a medical problem, caring for a relationship, marriage, parenting, all of those things. We're stronger together, folks, if we'll take the time to be together. Finally, practice. You can know all about a thing. I could read everything there is to know about baseball. I could tell you how to hold a ball for every pitch so that I can get a curve, a slider, a sinker, whatever. But if I never practice, am I really a baseball player? I don't know. I could even go buy the uniform and put it on. But you'd know I wasn't a player because it never got dirty. Right? You, you would know right away. Hey, that still looks new. Yeah, yeah well, anyway, I'm not going to go on that much. But yeah, we, we have to practice this. And it's not pretty sometimes. It gets ugly. But the point is, don't quit practicing. Don't quit practicing just because it's uncomfortable. Don't quit practicing because sometimes it gets ugly. Don't quit practicing because sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Would, would you stop uh, your sports if, uh, oh yeah, you know what? I messed up my new tennis shoes. Uh, I'm just not going to practice anymore said no one ever, right? Well, we don't quit. We continue. We get better. We understand the game more. We get some miles on us, and we know how to react to situations. So don't hesitate. Don't quit. Continue to practice. This is how we do this at WordServe. Uh, I didn't realize that was going to be quite the eye check, but uh, we have where we worship up. We seek the divine revelation. We have where we gather together in community and in prayer. And then we have the practice part where we take it out into the world. And in the middle of that, we connect all of those three together. This is like a God's eye view of a three-legged stool. 
right? You've got to worship, you've got to study together in community, and you've got to reach out to the community, and we connect that in our daily lives. In other words, as you walk and talk, we do this. And if we don't, we don't have a very good stool to, to sit on. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what it is in your circles that causes you to stay up late at night. I don't know what the main thing is that you focus on. But I do know this. I, I sense that we are in a time, we have come out of a time of relative calm here in our community, especially Fulcher, Texas, where things are good, the houses are coming in, things are developing, the job market's been pretty stable except for that whole COVID thing. It's been pretty good. But I also know that storms come. And I'm not telling you this to be a pessimist. I'm not telling this to bring you down. I'm telling this to give us hope because this is the time to drop anchor. This is the time to seek the divine revelation, the God's eye view, because blessed are those who heed wisdom's instruction. Let that be said of WordServe, and let it start today. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for the wisdom that you offer us. We thank you for a God whose love is enduring, steadfast, and never fails. God, forgive us when we uh, balk at the opportunity to follow you, when we, we think we know better, or we just tire of your word. God, rekindle in our hearts a desire to know your word, to, to live your word. Remind us that the guidance that you give is not meant to hold us down or keep us from having fun. It's to keep us off the rocks. God, remind us that even though things may look good now, that it's not time to pull up anchor. It's not time to abandon that revelation, that vision, our ability to see like you see. So God, I pray this morning for new eyes, eyes that see like you do. God, I pray for new hearts, hearts that love like you do. God, I pray for new hands, hands that serve like you would. And God, I pray for new feet, feet that will carry this gospel message of love and grace and truth to the world around us so that we can make a difference, so that we can be light in a world of darkness. We pray all this in Jesus' name.